Gen Z is saying, we want balance. We want learning. We want growth. We want to grow together. We want justice. We want equity. I mean, those sound pretty consistent with the kind of world that I want to live in. And right. I, I, I don't really know anyone in my own social circle, regardless of their age, who doesn't also want to work in that sort of place and live in that sort of world. So I really, truly do think that among all the horrible things that are happening um, across the world, Gen Z is maybe the first generation who said, enough is enough. Like, we're going to deal with this head on. Welcome to Work, Learn, Repeat, the cooperative and experiential education podcast from the University of Waterloo where we explore work-integrated learning and what's needed to prepare students, employers, and educators for the future of work. I'm your host, Jody Szymanski, and today we get to talk about Generation Z with Dr. David Drury, Associate Director of University of Waterloo's WorkLearn Institute. Let's start with who you are and what you do. So my name is David Drury. I'm the Associate Director of the WorkLearn Institute at the University of Waterloo. And what do you do at the WorkLearn Institute? So the WorkLearn Institute is primarily a research group, and we're interested in studying how work-integrated learning contributes to the development of talent, which really means we explore how participation in a work-integrated learning program helps students to develop skills, competencies, how that eventually leads to greater employability outcomes. But we also study how participation in work integrated learning programs like the co-op program at Waterloo right. might help organizations develop their talent pipelines. So um, addressing human resources needs throughout the recruitment and retention cycle. Recently, you've done some research on Generation Z and their values. Who is Generation Z to start with? They are the generation that everyone is going to be relying on for the next several decades and no one knows anything about. They are formally born, um, I think Stats Canada says something like mid-90s to early 2010. So the youngest ones of them right now would be like 10 or 11. The oldest ones would be in their mid to late 20s. They're the generation that comes after the millennials. And they're a fascinating group because there's a lot of them. The labor market conditions are rapidly changing and very different than they have been in previous years. And so um, we wanted to know more about them and, and their ideas about uh, the future of work. What are some of the defining characteristics of Gen Z? So there's a few. There's a few that come to mind. Um, probably at the top of the list, which is the most obvious one that most people would think about, would be the tremendous connectivity that they have to the internet. While the millennials grew up with the internet, um, and that's kind of like an average part of their life now, and you know, obviously it's an average part of everyone's life, the Gen Zers were really the first generation who grew up as young children with this tremendous access to information. And that's both a positive and a negative. On, on the one hand, they have social connections that are um, more diverse than any other generation. They might have, say, social contacts in other countries more so than the generations before them. But at the same time, they spend way more screen time um, in their developmental years compared to previous generations. And there's some research there you know it's not conclusive yet but there's some emergent research that suggests that might have some negative consequences for health and well-being so that's probably the first big thing the the um the screen time the connection to the internet access to information um a few other ones is that really it's been a tough time for these folks mm -hmm. if you think about you know the late uh, or like the early 2010s we're talking about like several financial crises um 
The housing market has been incredibly volatile. They've lived through a pandemic. Yeah. Like most generations, at least during their developmental years, didn't have to say that. Mm -hmm. So it's been really tough for Gen Zers. Um, and I think that that has a really profound impact on the way that they see the world and the relationship that they have to work and careers. And the third thing is that they're more diverse. There's this really interesting set of demographic um, research on who Gen Z actually is, which would suggest things like they, uh, they're more likely to have parents from outside of Canada mm -hmm. compared to previous generations. And they bring those cultures and those cultural norms with them into how they live their lives. Um, things like nearly one in five of them identify as LGBTQ+. Right. So there's maybe some um, layers of identity that are more diverse than, other, than in previous generations. And, um, and there's also greater racial diversity, which obviously comes with if your family's coming from a different place. So they really are different. Um, and it has to do with both who they are and where they come from and the sort of family structures, but also like the lived experience and how things have been going for them. For sure. So based on the ages that you said, can we frame where Gen Z is in terms of their educational journey and their career path at this point? Yep. So the youngest ones are sort of venturing into high school right okay. now. They'd be like preteens, early teens. The oldest ones, uh, like the mid 20 ones, they're kind of venturing into full-time careers for the first time. So there's, there's somewhere in there. What's really interesting is that when my team and I looked into some of the research on this generation, we've noticed that there's actual differences between Gen Zers and other generations regarding educational outcomes. Okay. Gen Z seems to be more likely to persist through high school and um, more likely to participate in higher education. Okay. So their graduation rates are higher and more likely than in previous generations, they seem to be interested in going to post-secondary which might have really big impacts on the sort of careers that they have. For sure. Yeah. And why was Work Learn Institute so interested in learning more about this generation and their values? I mean, it goes, anyone who's been tracking the media on Gen Z is probably, you know, has question marks um, that come to mind. Like they just seem so different. I've joked in previous discussions about Gen Z that there's even market research about how they seem to be um, not eating meals at the same rate that previous generations are. Many of them are skipping breakfast and they have more snacks. And so like in, in the consumer product category of snacking, Gen Z is like, you know, taking over the world or something. So even, even the most basic ways in which we live our lives, like the way that we consume food just right. seems to be fundamentally different from Gen Z. And as I said earlier, we're interested in how participation in higher education, experiential education, work integrated learning specifically, influences what people, um, where they go post-graduation, what that means for the organizations they might work with. So we wanted to take this broad view on Gen Z as being this really unique group of individuals. And we wanted to dive more deeply into that topic to see what's going on for these guys. Um, how do they see the world? And the most fundamental question underlying all of that is, what do you value? Because values represent these like core fundamental driving forces uh, or, you know, organizing principles around which people want to live their lives. And so we thought if we focus on that concept, we can probably learn a lot about the sort of careers that these people want. So let's dig into it. What does Gen Z value? So I think it's like really important to just have a quick sidebar to say, what does the literature talk about when they say values? Okay. There's lots of different ways of conceptualizing that. Um, the literature that we drew on comes from cross-cultural psychology, 
which basically says no matter where you go on earth in any country, there's sort of 10 universal types or kinds of values. Okay. So for instance, something like self-direction, some people might really value independent thought or exploring new things. Or um, another kind of different example would be like power. Some people just really value being the one who's in charge. Mm -hmm. And so we thought there's if there's 10 of these things, we should we should first start by trying to measure them and, okay. and see um, if we can come up with like a portrait or like a, um, you know, a market segment or a characterization of what this generation looks like. And I should probably pause really quickly and say we studied students at Waterloo. So that kind of means we're focusing on students who are destined for the knowledge economy. Right. And, you know, we could go down a rabbit hole and discuss all the other implications of what that means regarding, you know, academic profiles and mm -hmm. career interests and things like that. So um, I think anyone listening should take with a grain of salt what we learn here. But we do think that it is somewhat generalizable. And most of the things that we found in our research seem to be at least somewhat consistent with what um, other people studying this topic have found. Okay. So that's just a quick sidebar. In terms of what we actually found, um, so we found that, um, actually, let me make it one additional comment. So there's sure. a there's a bunch of different ways to measure values. Okay. Some are really straightforward. You can just say, here's a list of values, scale of one to whatever, which one seems relevant to you. We went a different route, which was our preference in this study, which is um, we use a, a, a version of something called the portraits value uh, questionnaire. And how does that work? So basically what happens is the researcher puts forth um, these descriptions of a fictional person. And, and we tried to use like a gender and racial neutral name. And it says, you know, Alex is someone who looks like this. To what extent do you feel like you are like Alex? So it's this kind of sneaky way of measuring values. It's not actually asking someone straight out, do you value this versus this thing? Okay. It's coming up with a description of someone who seems to value something. To what extent do you feel like you're like that person? Okay. So that's what we actually did. Um, and that's important because there are different ways of doing it. And I think there's a couple things that are pretty important to note regarding what we actually found. The first is like head and shoulders above anything else, benevolence was the thing that Gen Z said was most important to them, their greatest value. And can you talk about what benevolence is a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so benevolence basically means interest in the welfare of others, in particular ones in group. Okay. So family, friends, whoever it is that the person finds um, they identify most with, people who are socially close to them. Okay. Benevolence is the thing that Gen Z is saying is most important to them. So basically they're saying, it, all other things aside, I want to live in a world where my people are taken care of. That's what they value more than anything else. The second thing is hedonism, which basically just means like the pursuit of fun and happiness and enjoyment um, was second. And self-direction, which is pretty closely tied to that, is, is a close third. So they want to have fun. They want to explore. They want to... Um, you know, explore their own personal curiosities. These were sort of things that value, that uh, were at the top of the list of values. <clears throat> and right below that were two other things, universalism and security. So universalism is similar to benevolence, but it's a little broader, whereas okay. benevolence is like, I want my people to be taken care of. Universalism is, I'm concerned with the welfare of humankind. I just want people to flourish. And um, security is about the stability of social relationships. Right. Yeah. So a sort of portrait emerges there. We Gen Z is saying what we really want is to live in a world where our people are taken care of, people in general are taken care mm -hmm. of, but also I want to have a good time. I've got my own personal interests and um, I want to have fun.
So they want to take care of others, but they want to have fun doing it. What's really interesting is I've mentioned maybe five of the values there. Mm -hmm. After those five values, things drop off pretty steadily. And the list of values that aren't included in those five are things like achievement, stimulation, conformity, tradition, and power. So they're very, very like hierarchical, traditional values. Mm -hmm. We've joked that they're kind of like your grandparents' values. Yep. Doing things the way that they've always been done, being in positions of power. These things are actually like antithetical, like the exact opposite of what Gen Z actually wants, which is they want to have fun and they want to they want to succeed, but they want to bring everyone else along with them. They want everyone to be um, experiencing you know, an equitable life, which is very different than me being the only one who's winning. Right. Yeah. And so how do you think these values that Generation Z has differ from employer perceptions of the values that this generation has? Yeah, it's tough to say, like in the research that we've done, Jody, we haven't actually asked employers, at least recently, what they think about these things. But I can say we've been at a few conferences, we've been in a few meetings with HR folk, uh, C-suites, um, you know, senior leadership, yep. um, various organizational representation. And when we ask them about these topics, they don't always get it right. Okay. Which I think is like a little bit of a red flag that organizations are in trouble. If values are as important as we think they are, and I, I think there's enough data out there mm -hmm. to suggest that they are, some organizations might not have the right idea. What's really interesting is that um, there was one case where we asked a few questions. We kind of polled audience members about the things that they thought would be at the top of the list and uh, human resources professionals, the people sort of like at the front lines of recruitment and retention seem to get it right. Oh, good. Yeah, they weren't far off. So there is hope out there. I yeah. think there are some organizations who um, are paying attention. They're listening in. And if you're going to put your money anywhere, I'd, I'd put it on those organizations that understand these values. And so what do you think the role of work integrated learning is in helping this generation identify their values and where that can lead them on their career path? I'm totally biased. Um, my colleagues and I are building careers about studying work integrated learning, but we think that we've got a body of literature, theory and data to suggest that it's really important to the exploration and identification of values. Probably the one mechanism that we would point to is exposure to authentic work experiences. Right in sort of a safe space. Okay. And I can speak to both. The exposure piece is critical to work integrated learning. Mm -hmm. It's the thing that makes well, well. Students, you know, study whatever they study in an academic context, and then they go out to a workplace and it's authentic. They actually do what the professionals in that field do. Right. So it's not a simulation. It's not an in-class activity. They're actually out in the world doing work. And that is really important because they're working with people who espouse the values of that organization or that field. And even just, you know, the tension of working with those people and exploring differences between what they might value and what one values, um, I think is an important way to either bolster or like galvanize what one feels is important mm -hmm. or renegotiate that because they can learn from others. So the, the authentic exposure piece is a really big part. And then there's this reflection piece, which is something that good work integrated learning programs offer. Mm -hmm. They make sure that when students are exposed to these experiences, there's an opportunity to reflect on what's actually happened. Right. And that's what makes work integrated learning different than just work. Because if I'm just going out to work, that's just a job. Yes. Work integrated learning requires that integration piece and reflection is what makes that possible. 
So for instance, at Waterloo, any student who goes out into a work experience is going to be asked to complete some sort of report mm -hmm. in which they're asked to reflect on that experience. And that's a really like important moment for them to say, well, what was important about that experience? How did that go for me? And if you sort of dig down even deeper, they're mm -hmm. going to start asking themselves questions like, is that the sort of place that I want to work? And even like reading between the lines there, what they're forced to think about or what they're encouraged to think about is, what do I value? What's important to me? And the long-term implications of this would be they should be better prepared to have confidence in, um, in their own values, to better understand themselves, and then be better situated to select career paths that are aligned with that. Okay. So let's talk about how work integrated learning can help employers think about their values, but also how to interact with this new generation. Oh, I think it's huge. Like in our own research, and at least in our recent research, we haven't tackled that, but there's a whole body of literature about this topic. When students are brought into organizations, lots of good things happen for the organization. Mm -hmm. Probably at the most basic level, organizations can get things done at a relatively cheaper cost than those things would get done if students weren't around, mm -hmm. just based on things like hourly wages of students versus other groups of workers. So there's a really basic economical advantage to hiring right. exceptionally talented students to just do work. There's also an advantage to building relationships with students early on because those students are in developmental stages where they're still trying to learn the sort of organizations in which they might want to work, the sort of career paths they might want to take. When an organization can enter into the picture and build a strong bond with the student, students are more likely to go work there. Right. So there's an there's an advantage to, you know, being a first to market, if you will, trying to be the first person with the most positive um, position in a student's mind because they say, well, that person hired me on for one or more co-op work terms. And I had such a tremendous time post-graduation. I'm going to start there. I at least want to start my my search for my destination with that group. And we know it's a competitive marketplace right now for employees. Everyone is fighting for top talent. Yep. North America, you know, the labor market has been really tight. Um, unemployment rates are exceptionally low. All organizations, you know, at least the good ones, are constantly trying to find the next best idea. Well, those ideas come from really bright, really educated people. And so, again, another advantage to hiring work integrated learning students. Building on that idea, there is something, you know, with respect to older generations, myself included, there's something unique about hiring young people, mm -hmm. like the whole fresh idea or fresh mentality, a new way of thinking is pretty legit. There's research on like neuroplasticity and how being, um, being naive to something can actually be an ad advantage. When, an, when a student comes into an organization and says, it's kind of weird that you guys do it like that because I always thought you would do it this way, it can sometimes encourage the organization to rethink principles or processes or policies, things like that. Work integrated learning students are tra trained and prepared to go out into the workforce and have those sort of conversations. So it's a moment where the organization can develop. And I think that's the critical point when it comes to values, because right. if a student is in the organization, they can bring up things about their own values and how those might be at tension with what the organization values. A great example would be things like in our own institution, um, when we have co-op students working for us, we ask them to do things like write training manuals 
or or audit our job descriptions. Mm -hmm. So we're actually asking the students for their own input. Can you see yourself doing X, Y, Z, or is that inconsistent with what you want? When you read this job description, does it is it consistent with you know the sort of values of the organizations that you might want to work in? And if the answer is no, it's this amazing learning opportunity for us to do better. So again, having the student kind of be a, a co-creative partner in the recruitment and retention process is an enormous advantage. I think that's a great tip for our employers. And I, I think it helps lead into the next question is, how do you attract and retain this generation who re their values really count? I mean, you you just said the key word, right? It's values. There's research, man, over at least two decades that talk about the role of values fit. Mm -hmm in organizational selection. And what it boils down to is that even when you hold all these other things equal, like pay, compensation packages, people are still attracted to organizations that seem to have the same values that they have. Mm -hmm. So the most basic thing organizations have to do is go back to the research. What is it that Gen Z actually value? Benevolence, stability, security, um, self-direction, those, those are the sorts of things that organizations need to latch on to right. if they want to win the fight for talent. Then they have to ask themselves, so where does that actually show up in operational decisions? Well, the first piece is probably looking at organizational mission and value statements, mm -hmm. the sort of organizing principles behind what an organization says it is and how it goes about doing the things that it does. If one was to read their mission statement and find, geez, none of these things that Gen Z is looking for is in there, well, maybe it's time to bring out the eraser and the pencil and start over, or at least think about how things can nudge towards this really important next generation. As a side note, I'm not suggesting that every organization needs to bend to the will of Gen Z. However, demographic trends suggest that by maybe 2030, something like 40% of the workforce is going to be Gen Z wow. globally. And I would also think that if they feel that the company does have similar values, but isn't living them, that would also be a turnoff for this generation. You're probably, you're probably going to lose even harder if you say this is what we value and then don't live that value in practice. And the reason for that is every person who enters an organization has what some researchers call a psychological contract. Mm -hmm. It's like never written down, but it's implied that I'm going to do this and you're going to do that. In this case, I value this and you're going to help me be the person that I want to be with these sort of values in that organization. When the contract is fulfilled, people are generally more happy. But when it's broken, people get pissed off, they disengage, some even engage in harmful behaviors, um, and they leave. They ultimately leave, which is really difficult for organizations to deal with because any amount of time, money, energy they invested in onboarding a new person is totally lost and then they have to start recruitment all over again. So you're almost better to get values wrong than to say you got it right and then get it wrong later. It's a really important point, Jody, so thanks for bringing that up. A couple other things related to this. So if we understand values, what can we actually do? What matters here? Well, one of the things which you know people are nervous to talk about is we have to talk about stability. Mm -hmm. Gig work has been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think that this next generation is okay with that. Just because they are working in gigs doesn't necessarily mean that's their preference. What they're actually looking for is job stability. So organizations that 
can nudge their positions toward being more stable, whatever that looks like, and that's you know kind of up to Gen Z to define at this point, is probably going to be better off than those who are offering only gig jobs. Okay. More stability is probably better than less stability. Another thing is Gen Z really wants to grow and develop. This mm -hmm. is like part of this whole self-transcendence self theme that emerges in the value data. And learning is a great way of becoming a better human being and you know doing all the things that Gen Z wants to do. Absolutely. So I think organizations have to take a step back and think, what are we doing either in-house or outsourcing to provide those sort of training, development, learning opportunities? Some organizations I think are big enough and have their own resources and mm -hmm. are doing a great job. Others might have those resources but are failing to deliver on the learning aspect. Others don't have the resources, but probably can partner with others or offer, you know, free resources for for training. Um, an additional note on that is I'm not sure Gen Z just wants to learn things that the organization wants them to right. learn. That's where the self-direction comes in. Exactly. I think that's a critical point. I think what what really needs to happen here is organizations need to sit down with their Gen Z employees and say, what is it that you want to learn? Okay. And think about like the Venn diagram between what you want and what the organization wants and try to find this happy middle place where Gen Z can do some training, do some learning in a way that is personally um, meaningful, but also beneficial to the organization. Right. So that's another big one. Um, so the mission value statement stuff, the stability, the training piece. And the last one is work-life balance. When we ask Gen Z students about how these values shift into their preferences for organizational characteristics and job characteristics, one of the things in the data that was clear as day is they're seeking work-life balance. That's a muddy concept. What does that really mean? We yeah. still need to have conversations about that. But I think one of the most basic parts of that conversation is we need to talk about remote work. Right. And it's this sort of awkward piece because there seems to be a tension between what organizations are mm -hmm. asking people to do and what the, this young generation is looking for. The young generation is saying, we really like hybrid work. We want to be in the office with each other sometimes. And I think they appreciate the social benefit of that. Right. But they're also saying, I really don't want to do the slog that my parents' generation was asked to do. All those commutes. The commute time. I yep. mean, anyone who works in a downtown city core has to deal with this. You know, these people are in their mid to late 20s, some of them. Many might be starting to think about home ownership. The only real places where that's possible for this generation is in not urban centers, exactly. right? Far, far away that really make commute times a big challenge. Some of them might be thinking about starting a family. So these are all the things that are going on in the lives of Gen Z that organizations need to start thinking about. And if they're continually asking people to come into the office, I don't think they're doing what Gen Z's really asking for. Again, this is like an awkward conversation because there really are benefits to having people in the office. Absolutely. And so it's it's probably not going to one extreme or the other, but we need to work together to find some sort of happy medium. So what are the costs to an organization to accommodate a lot of these needs and expectations of this generation? It's pretty hard to evaluate in, in dollar terms because I think a lot of what we're talking about is is very human. Mm -hmm. um, it, it requires a fundamental rethinking of what organizations are, what they do, why they do the things that they do. And I think it, it really requires us to think differently. Right. So on, on the one hand, you could say it costs nothing because it just means we have to think differently. In actual terms, it probably means it's very expensive, right? Big ships move slowly or yes. turn slowly. So it's actually probably going to be very painful 
for some of these organizations to change their ways. And there's probably going to be some financial burden to do that. But on the flip side, if they don't, I think the costs are monumental. Right. And they, they, they're unavoidable. Getting this wrong means mission failure because Gen Z really is this next generation of workers. And everyone knows, like the writing is on the wall, the baby boomers are retiring. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of institutional knowledge and memory yes. that's going to be lost. We're going to need really smart, really talented problem solvers to come into organizations and take the reins. And we need to think about what those people value to make the jobs we want them to do desirable. And it's expensive to continuously retrain new people. For most organizations, human resources is the number one biggest line item in the budget by far. Um, for lots of knowledge economies, you know, it could be 70, 80% of organizational expenditures. Right. Recruitment is an enormous part of that. I mean, forget salaries, forget onboarding, forget other compensation, long-term disability, just going out and finding people. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a headache for a lot of organizations because there's, you know, there's a difference between finding someone and finding the right person. Exactly. Finding someone with the right talents, with values that match, you know, your organizational values. So, yeah, I think this is a great moment in time for organizations to think about what Gen Z wants and how they can advance their organizations along with what Gen Z wants. Right. And how might accommodating Gen Z values and their preferences and their expectations change the future of work for everyone. I mean, if we get this right, I think it can make organizations a better place for everyone. Gen Z is saying, we want balance. We want learning. We want growth. We want to grow together. We want justice. We want equity. I mean, those sound pretty consistent with the kind of world that I want to live in. And right. I, I, I don't really know anyone in my own social circle, regardless of their age, who doesn't also want to work in that sort of place and live in that sort of world. So I really, truly do think that among all the horrible things that are happening um, across the world, Gen Z is maybe the first generation who said, enough is enough. Like, we're going to deal with this head on. And they're trying to get organizations to listen. They're trying to get organizations to buy in. And if they do, I think this is going to be a mutually beneficial partnership. Organizations are going to be able to offer learning, meaningful work experiences that Gen Z really resonate with, and they're probably going to do better for the world. So I, I think we're on the right path. Thanks for tuning into this conversation with Associate Director of the WorkLearn Institute, Dr. David Drury. Subscribe to future podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or SoundCloud, or watch the full episode on YouTube. Links to all our social media platforms are in the show notes. Follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening at Cooperative and Experiential Education. Join us next time for Work, Learn, Repeat.